Hey, just a reminder, if you're tuning in, if you're somebody that is really enjoying the content we provide and is mutually interested in what makes people tick, how to deal with folks from all different personality spectrums, and just trying to get people to do the things they should do to have a better life overall, then I want to make sure that you guys remember that my online course, Bought In, which covers all of those things, is now open year-round. The most common question I get about any of my courses is, hey, like I don't work with athletes, or hey, I'm not a strength coach. Guys, none of that matters. You can read a book from a Navy SEAL and not be a Navy SEAL and still learn something from it. You can read a book from a Silicon Valley entrepreneur and you may not be involved in tech and you can learn something from it. So the reason I often use the term athlete or coaching is simply because that's my background. But ultimately these principles apply if you deal with people. I have yet to meet anybody in a vocation that says, hey, I never deal with people at any way, in any way, shape, form whatsoever or on the rare outlier there is, chances are they still deal with people in their personal lives. So Bought In is a self-paced course. Again, you can do it at your own pace that goes over influence, psychology, motivation tactics, all these different things that we often hear about in books and TED Talks, but very rarely does anybody give us the meat and potatoes. Very rarely does anybody get beyond service level. Uh, all the content, guys, has over 170 peer-reviewed resources to back it. We dive deep. There's worksheets, workbooks. Um, if you're one of those people that just wants to watch the videos, okay, you can do that. Uh, if you're somebody that values deep learning and deep work, it's set up for that too. You can print out all the manuals, all the modules. It's set up for you. So again, if you've read Conscious Coaching or even if you haven't and you just like this stuff and you want to dive deeper or you're struggling to get somebody to change your behavior, check out Bought In. It's at artofcoaching.com. It's accessible all year round. And it took me over two years to develop. So I really hope you love it. Um, and I'd love to hear your feedback. All right, guys, on with the episode. Thanks for your time. Welcome to the Art of Coaching Podcast, a show aimed at getting to the core of what it takes to change attitudes, behaviors, and outcomes in the weight room, boardroom, classroom, and everywhere in between. I'm your host, Brett Bartholomew. I'm a performance coach, keynote speaker, and the author of the book, Conscious Coaching. But most importantly, I'm a lifelong student interested in all aspects of human behavior and communication. I want to thank you for joining me. And now let's dive into today's episode. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. And today I'm here with JL Holdsworth. JL, what's good? Hey, what's going on, coach? How's your day going? And it's going all right, man. I appreciate you joining me. I know you got a lot going on. Managing as much as you do is not easy. Tell me about what's going on in your day so far. Well, it's, it's been awesome. You know, we, uh, we had Douglas Heal in, uh, who invented the Be Activated system for a four-day workshop. So uh, that got over yesterday. And today, you know, obviously, uh, you know, such great to get great time with great people as, as always. And, you know, you know, I've sat down and had great discussions. And so today we just earlier today, we just sat down and just, just talked about life and, and everything, everything that comes up when you're talking to great people. Yeah, that's, and like one thing I, I think is unique about this and anybody that's listened to the podcast for a while, you know, you and I have really only had a chance to chat once, right? These are real conversations. This isn't scripted. So like JL, tell us like, who the hell are you? Yeah. So, you know, for me, uh, I, 
what I always tell people, number one, uh, I, I identify myself as, as a, just a tried and true meathead always. Uh, <laughs> I, I love strength, man. You know, you, you gotta, I, I just, I love being in the gym and for me, you know, it's, I've been very fortunate at this point. I now operate, uh, the spot athletics. We have two, uh, 20,000 square foot private locations in, in the Columbus, Ohio area. Come out 20,000 square feet. Yeah. Two of them that are each wow. 20,000. Yeah. So it's, yeah, we've, we've, you know, I've, I feel really fortunate. They're both private. So it's all, you know, co- clients come in, work with coaches, you know, whether that's one-on-one or in a group setting. And uh, I feel really fortunate that we've been able to keep that family feel as, as we've expanded as much as we have. Yeah. That's so, not always easy. No, no. It, 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 look, it's been a struggle. I've made a ton of mistakes. I'm sure we'll probably cover some of those <laughs> in, in the next hour. So and, and, you know, the, the biggest thing, I guess, that, that I want to let people know is at this point in my life, my, my mission, you know, it's changed a lot over, over, you know, what I want out of life when I do. But at this point, man, I think the best part to know who I am is my, my mission in life is really to put as much love into the world as possible and just help people not make the mistakes that I've made so they can get a lot further and, and not have a heart at chips that I've had because I've, I've, I've lived a pretty pretty interesting and, and a mistake filled life. And, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, coming on the podcast and, and doing different speaking and things that I do, my, my hope is always just that if I can reach one person and help them not make, you know, a mistake I made, then, then I feel like that's putting a lot of good into the world. And that's, that's really what I, I wanted to do. And that's, you know, we, we co-founded uh, reflexive performance reset, uh, Who's about we? three, uh, Cal Dietz, who, uh, you know, people may know from triphasic training and he's the head strength coach for Minnesota hockey. And then Chris Corfus, who is just an amazing sprint coach out of Chicago. He, uh, he, he's one of the most humble guys you ever meet. He tells everybody I'm just a high school teacher or track coach. And next thing you know, there's, you know, multi-time Olympians running down his street in front of his house so they can get assessed by him. So he's, uh, he's there, there's some, some great people. And, I was fortunate enough to, to meet with them. And it was one of those things where, you know, I, I met with them and we just really, uh, you know, we, we were able to, to have similar values and, and wanted to, we all wanted to change the world. And, you know, what ended up coming out of that was really reflexive performance reset. And uh, it's, it's been an amazing journey. And, and I feel like, I can't say we've changed the world yet, but I feel like we've made some great steps in the right direction. And we're going to talk about RPR here more in a moment, but I want to make sure that it's like, so, and you're, you're humble. You're too humble to say this, but just to give everybody a little bit of an orientation here, you know, what JL says, you got to be comfortable making mistakes. This is a person who, and, and correct me, JL, if this isn't up to date, but competition, competition, best lifts, 905 pound squat, 77, uh, 775 pound bench, 804 deadlift. Is that, first of all, are those numbers accurate? Yes or no? Yeah, those are, those are my best full meat lifts. Uh, you know, I was, I was a strength coach kind of, you know, I gave a big general, but you know, the, the simple background is, you know, small town kid from Michigan grew up in, in, you know, Northern part of Michigan and played college football, played at Ferris state university, transferred to Wayne state university. Then I was a strength conditioning coach at the university of Kentucky. And it was interesting because I, I, 
when I moved, I lived in Colorado Springs. My girlfriend at the time, her sister was training for the Olympics uh, in weightlifting. So we had a chance to, to live in a house their parents had rented for a year, but we're moving home for the sum, back to Michigan for the summer and free rent in Colorado Springs, training at the Olympic Training Center, learn how to Olympic weightlift. I'm like, fuck, I'm in. No doubt. And so, you know, so I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to do, you know, I get done with football. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do weightlifting. I'm going to do weightlifting. And I just wasn't that good at it. And it's funny how the universe works, man. I went to Kentucky to interview for my job and uh, Jim Wendler, uh, I, I had no clue. You know, I did, at first time I met him, he's, I'm on the platforms, you know, doing <laughs> clean and all this. And I see this, you know, these guys were there squatting with bands and I'd never seen it. And I went over, I said, what are you guys doing? And starts telling me about Westside Barbell and Conjugate and all this stuff. And I'd never heard of it. And I just, I started looking at it. I got the job at, you know, University of Kentucky when was a strength coach there. I did my first powerlifting meet. Uh, and turns out I'm, I'm pretty good at picking up heavy things. And, uh, so I did my first meetup by Columbus. I beat all the guys at Westside. So I beat Jim Wendler who had introduced me to the sport a year earlier. I beat Dave Tay, all these guys that I had learned from as, as that, that process had happened. And, uh, Louie came up to me after the meet and was like, you, you gotta move, you gotta move to Columbus and train at Westside. And <laughs> it was really more of a threat than an ask, I think, uh, looking back, but, uh, you know, so that's, I, I basically came up to Columbus for the weekend and, and just loved the environment, loved, you know, the whole idea of just being a world champion and being the best at the world at picking up heavy things and, you know, left Kentucky, moved to Columbus, Ohio, and, you know, been here since 2001, 2002 is when I moved up here. And, yep. uh, so it's, it's been an amazing journey and I was, you know, I was fortunate enough to win a world championship in powerlifting and, you know, the, the new documentary that came out, Westside versus the World, there's a great scene in there with me writing my name on that board at Westside, which is, you know, putting your name on that board at Westside is something that, that you know, I'll, I'll always be one of my, my proudest memories uh, from, from accomplishments in athletics. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's been a fun ride. And you know, I even got into grip sport. So I competed in Mighty Mitts, which is a competition to see as the strongest grip in the world. And uh, you know, I, I just love strength and, and, you know, God blessed me to pick up heavy things. So, I mean, why wouldn't I do it? Yeah. Physical culture. And for those of you that are listening that aren't in the performance or strength domain, you know, when he's talking about training at Westside, right, the best analog I can give you is think about where some of the most, uh, and it doesn't even have to be refined, but just some of the most well-educated through the school of hard knocks kind of is with your field, right? It's kind of like this zero dreams of sushi, right? Like Westside is this mecca for some very, very unique individuals where they can go and continue to build and refine their pedigree under the absolutely scrupulous, unique eye uh, of some of the other best lifters. So if you're listening and you want to orient yourself to that, that's, you got to find your analog regardless of the field that you're in. There's somewhere you guys go where you get to test each other, test, uh, test um, everybody else, and, and you kind of grow together. So JL, a world champion powerlifter, published author, like you said, you've been a strength coach in multiple domains. Why the hell did you go open your own business? What was the call there? Honestly, man, selfishness. Uh, I tell people all the time, if you had asked me 10 years ago about owning a gym, I'd have told you, no way. I, th that's dumb. Why would anyone want to do that? Uh, you know, at that time, I just, it was not a thing on my radar. And, you know, it's one of those things I, I really believe the hardships that we have in life guide us to things we would have ever never otherwise would have chosen. And, and I think the universe does that for us because, you know, if we listen and, and we go with that and, and we can fight through those struggles, we get to a place that is so great. We didn't even realize it existed. And, and that's one of the magical things I think about life. And, 
you know, I tell people all the time, it's, it's kind of a joke, right? When, you know, we get off this podcast, right? You, you know, everyone's like, oh, have, you know, have a great day. Thanks for coming on this and that. And every, you know, you see your friends like, awesome. Hope you have a great time. And, and I've gotten to the point in life where I almost, when, when I part from people from a conversation, I must want to say, I hope something fucked up happens to you because that's really truly what I know will make someone better. And so it, without struggle, you can't have progress, right? We always say straining is stronger. And uh, for me, man, that's what happened. I, a management company changed for the company I was at. Uh, the people who took over were awful people who, uh, there were some women who ran the company and I literally, the first day I met with them, they were like, they brought me into a meeting and essentially said, I'm a big dumb meathead who can't know anything. And I look, I'm, I, I am a meathead for sure, but I am, I'm extremely well-read and I'm extremely intelligent. I'm the, I'm the kid who skipped every class in high school and still got the best grades. And these people, they just looked at me and literally I had to have a conversation with the head of HR where she said, well, the way you look, I just don't think you can do your job. Now, let's rewind real quick. Who, who was this person and why were they in a position now where they could kind of say, and the reason I want to dive into this, JL, is because a big part of this podcast, and I say it in a variety of different episodes, is the art of coaching is about everything from the weight room to the boardroom, uh, you know, to the, to the classroom, everything in between, right? So there's lessons of leadership across spectrums. Why would somebody come, like, what was the situation here? Well, give us a little bit more context why somebody thought they could talk to you like that and why you think that uh, strength coaches tend to fall into this stereotype where people in those positions think we're all just weight room idiot people. Yeah, so it's interesting. There was, there was an issue uh, at the club I was working at where someone was complaining about something. And essentially, they were complaining about me. And, and to give context, what had happened was this person was, was a person who, looking back, is just a really unhappy person. And to gain control in their life, they, they try to complain about every little thing they can just to, to have hold on to some type of control in their world. And so she had complained about some things that that I was, you know, and admittedly, uh, at that point in my life, I was a very angry person. So when someone challenged me, I was going to push back harder than they could ever push. And so what had happened was this person wanted, I don't even remember at the time what it was. They wanted something. And I just said, no, we're not going to do that. And it was something, it was arbitrary, right? It, it was something arbitrary she wanted. And it was, it was, it was a ridiculous demand. And it was something that was against our policies and all these things. So what I did, the, the smartest part of what I did was after I had the conversation with her, I was extremely polite. I said, we can't do that. It's against our policies there was another guy who worked there who was my head of aerobics instructing. And when she came back to complain more, every time she came back, I just had him talk to her and I just stayed out of the conversation because I knew this lady didn't like me and just was gunning for me. So I just stayed out of the conversation. And so what happened was eventually when she didn't get what she wanted after, you know, a couple of weeks of complaining, she wrote an email to the man to, to the people in this management company. And she essentially accused me of a whole bunch of things I never did. And so because I never had conversations past that one conversation, the things she said became ridiculous lies. But when I went to this HR person to address these issues, she was the head of the HR for this company. She, she said, well, it's just the way you look. I just don't think you can do this management job. Interesting. And I, and I looked at her and I said, so if I was black, I couldn't do my job. And she's like, I'm not, no, what that's ridiculous. What does that have to do with it? I go, 
well, so you tell black people that some people don't like black people, so you can't be in this role in management. And she's like, I would never say that. And I said, well, you just told me the way I look is how you're judging my performance in a job. And I said, that is literally the, de the definition of discrimination. And she was their head of HR. And then she just started backpedaling, right? And so these people, they were just, it was one of these deals where they looked at me, they made a judgment right away without ever asking me a question to the point where they, now I'm a person who started two businesses from scratch. When I moved to Columbus, Ohio, to give everyone context, I was working at the University of Kentucky. I was making a whopping $8,000 a year. So, you know, I was super rich. And <laughs> I, moved to, <laughs> I moved to Columbus, Ohio. I, it was a two-door Grand Am. Everything I owned was in my two-door Grand Am. I had, I had simplified life to a point where I had a frying pan, a spatula, a mixing bowl, a plate, a knife, and a fork. That was, that was every, cause that's all I needed to, to live. And I had a cup, a big, right. big actual plastic cup. That's what I had in clothes. And I had $300 to my name. Now from that, I now have two 20,000 square foot facilities and I own two separate businesses that I've started from nothing. These women looked at me in a meeting and said, you just don't know how to operate a business and you need to, you need to learn and you couldn't do this stuff and you couldn't do this without having one conversation with me or getting to know me. And so they looked at me and made a judgment right away without getting to know me. And so what happened was over and over again, I performed in a way that was so contradictory to the story they had already told themselves in their head that they literally started to hate me. To a point where at one point, the one lady who was their head of marketing tried to get me fired because she had a marketing idea. And I said that if you do this, it's going to lose us a lot of money because essentially she wanted to reduce price for a certain segment of people. But then that would alienate the people who are paying full price. It was a really bad business decision. And I, I, I said this in front of everyone else in our management staff. And then she implemented the idea and it lost us a ton of money and she made it her mission to get me fired. And so I lucky enough understood the game of politics well enough that, that she could not do that. But it was one of these things where, you know, this is such an important part. You and I were talking before for the podcast, you know, I just went through four days of, of be activated with, with Douglas Heal, who, who's the guy who invented Be Activated, and that's where RPR comes from, and, and that's where it all started. And the theme that we talked about through the four days and as we did work and we had conversations was we had a lot of conversations around just the impact of language. But more important than that is that everybody who comes into a situation brings their own story into that situation. Every bit of coaching we do, we're bringing our own story into that coaching. And if we don't know and own our story, our coaching will be dictated by a story we don't even understand. And our actions and our decisions will be run by a story we don't even know is existing. And that's what these people did was they didn't have context. They didn't have awareness of their own story. And so they then treated me so awful because the story they had already told themselves. And maybe that's because I looked like, uh, you know, a high school football player that maybe made fun of them in high school or college. Or maybe I looked, you know, reminded them of a football player that was an ex-boyfriend that treated them poorly, right? 
I don't know what story they were telling themselves. What I know is that what I got was pure fear and hate towards me for me just being the way I look. Yeah. And this is, there's a lot to jump into here. This is a part of opening and closing interactions, right? Like what you kind of dealt with in psychological terms is the primacy effect, right? People are much more likely to kind of remember or latch onto what we encounter first and visual, right? Human beings are so visual, so uh, visual oriented in nature that they see something, they don't feel like they understand it. It doesn't kind of uh, just, uh, I would say, strongly kind of correlate to something that they've experienced in the past. And, and I would say that this is something that kind of impacts the bigger world of, of performance in general. And part of my mission is strength coaches just aren't taken seriously on the business side of things. And part of that is our fault, right? I do think that there's an accountability piece there. Like we don't always act professional. We are a very defensive group. We are, you know, it gets like, but the other piece of it is I think a lot of times we just get lumped into this category of people that, oh, you're exercise people, or you're just like you said, meatheads, all this. And a lot of that kind of comes into the primacy effect. So this is kind of what I want to know for you, because given that so many strength coaches are so passionate and, and they dive so deep and they care so much about stuff, when it comes to expressing assertiveness, right? Like when you, when this woman got on to you about this and it doesn't, it, it's not right about whether it's a woman or a man, but in this instance, right. it happened to be a woman, you know, where do you draw that line, JL, between not feeding into the narrative of now, okay, I'm going to show you, you know, and proving her right. And, but still standing up for yourself in a professional format. Cause you know that there are young strength coaches or just young leaders of any kind listening to this that they tend to just fight fire with fire and their emotions get the best of them. How do you handle that internally and check your emotions at the door? Well, what I can tell you, obviously, you know, you and I have, have had a conversation and spent, you know, we, yeah. we were at a clinic and spent some time together, but you know, we haven't spent a lot of time together. So you don't know JL from 15 years ago. And honestly, until I found be activated and, and started doing RPR every day, you know, it changes, it allows you to be in a parasympathetic state, which I never was. I was always in that sympathetic and I, I didn't do flight. I just did fight. <laughs> and so for me, I lived, I've lived life with so much anger to the point, you know, something, you know, it, it's funny. We talk about these stories or primacy effect. When I was born, I, it was a C-section. And when I was born, the doctors stabbed me in the middle of my forehead with the knife. What? And so, yeah. So you look at that. So my first thing, when I'm seeing light for the first time and coming into this world, I got shanked, right? So you're, you're looking at that. How, how, how Wait, much why? does that? Why? I don't know. I don't know. Nobody explained to you why when you were born, you got shanked in the forehead. They, they screwed up. That's it. That's what were they trying they, to, what were they trying to accomplish? I guess get me out, but I, I, dude, I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me either. Yeah. I've had, I got three kids and none of them got cut open on none of them got shanked in the forehead. Thankfully. Yeah, none, none of them. Yeah. None of them got shivved. Right. Like it, they, they just came out and we, it was a beautiful, wonderful thing. And for some reason I got stabbed in the head. And so my, my first pictures, right. And my baby pictures, you know, you take those first pictures with the baby. I have stitches in the middle of my head, like right in the middle of my forehead. So I got stabbed right in the forehead. So literally how I came into this world was I, I literally instantly had to have anger and rage and feel pain 
as I was born in. And that whole context has really lived with me for my whole life. And, you know, it's honestly, it's just been recently through doing the work with, with be activating going through that I've been able to understand my own story. And, and even to the point when I was three years old, my parents used to joke and my grandparents, I literally would run as hard as I could and slam myself in when I would get angry about something, I would slam myself into walls. I would throw myself off of a couch or off of anything. And, and that anger was so uncontrollable and it's been like that my whole life. So when you ask, and, and just until the last, honestly, until I found be activated and, and have been able to do RPR every day for myself, I didn't even realize how much anger I housed or how I interacted with the world. And so it's always been when someone steps up like that, I've had that anger of like, okay, this is another person stabbing me in the head and I'm, I'm now I'm big enough to do something about it. And so the way I reacted back then was totally different than the way I would react now. And so I, I really don't even want to talk about how I did it back then because I can tell you it was a mistake. Because what I did was they were meeting me with pressure and instead of taking that and, and not making it a fight, but getting them to understand, I just fought right back because what I was doing was, and then as I'm fighting back, they're just going, see, this guy's this angry guy. And so I think a lot of times, you know, obviously the, the thing is, is people come at us with this anger and, and what I never understood was they're filtering and seeing me through their story. Yeah. So yeah, well, everybody always looks at you through that lens. How did you look so, at her through yours though? After this, you oh, know what, like, how did you view that? I hate, oh, I hated her. I hated those people. Like I literally was like, I don't wish death upon anybody. If they died, it would not be sad. Uh, that's, and that's where I was as a person at this point. Now my conversation would be like, that's really interesting that you see me that way. Tell me why you see me that way. So because we have, if, oh, sorry, go ahead. If we don't seek first to understand where the person's coming from, we cannot get them anywhere, right? If you say I need directions to, to my house, the first question I'm asked is where are you? But if, if I never approached life like that, so when someone does that, if I don't first seek to understand where they're coming from, I can't get them to where I want them to be, which is to see me as this intelligent, wonderful person who could do a lot of great things for their business. And that's where I think we really miss is that we don't first seek to understand where people are at and we just start trying to get them to where we want them to be or fight them. Which, and fighting them is even worse because then they're going to push back even harder. Yeah. And so we know that the, and you've mentioned this a couple of times, we know that the psychological, physiological, all that are linked. We know that the best we can do is try to take a step back, seek to understand, orient yourself. Like you said, like where, where's the house at, right? Where's the, where, where are we coming from? How did, and you mentioned be activated a couple of times for, for people that have no clue whatsoever what this is. And like now elaborate onto that. Cause you said you're way different than you were you know, back where you probably would have addressed this a little bit more aggressively. Talk to me a little bit more about the interventions that you're using now that change that for you and help you kind of, you know, find that, uh, I don't want to use the term, find your center, but you know what I mean? Just be able to control that uh, innate yeah. part of JL that wants so, to lose his shit. Yeah, I think the, the big thing in this that I think for people to understand is that 
you know, Descartes, right? I think therefore I am. So at that point, psychology said, Hey, we got neck up and physiology said, we got, we got neck down, right. Or medicine. And so medicine says we got neck down. Psychology said we got neck up, but you cannot separate. And this is one of the primary things. If you actually, you cannot separate whatever's in the brain is in the body. Whatever's in the body is in the brain. And you can't separate those things. And the thing people don't understand is we all think we're walking around making conscious decisions. Like you talk conscious coaching, right? We all think we're making conscious decisions when in reality, our physiology is driving every decision that we make. And then we consciously justify the decision our physiology has already chosen for us. And so until you understand and own your story, you can't own your physiology and make actual decisions based on good knowledge because you don't have enough context of your own physiology and your own story. And so for me, that's what, you know, be activated really goes into that, you know, physiology and, and psychology being linked. And so there's, it's, it's one of these things. I mean, so essentially, you know, when I say, uh, be activated. One of the, one of the things people, you know, start to think of, uh, activation, right? That that's usually where people, because I think that's a common term in our industry. What I want people to understand is that the way we look at when we talk about say activation and RPR and be activated, it has absolutely nothing to do with doing a glute bridge. That, that may be what people's context is for activation, However, in RPR and in be activated, the way we're talking about it is, is activation means something completely different. It's not, you know what I mean? It's a totally different context. And that context is really talking about the proper fire, neurological firing sequence for your body. And so when we do things like glute bridges and we say that's glute activation in the lens of RPR and be activated, that is not what activation is. That's warming up right? That's, that's doing this. However, one of the things, one of the primary tenets that people don't understand is, you know, you learned about, and, and I learned about the neuromuscular system, right? Like that's yep. what we went to school and learned about. So here's the interesting piece. If, if I was to, and I, I'm really interested. So this is for all the listeners. I've never asked you this question. So th this is an interesting thing. What, and, and don't get technical. Just the first thing that pops into your head, right? Don't overthink it. Just what sure. you feel. What, what, what makes someone do a sit-up? Oh, I mean, that all starts with some kind of neuromuscular facilitation. So, so if you don't want me, if you don't want me to get nerdy, no, no, right? like synapses, no, no, no. And, yeah. So here, you're one of the only people I've ever asked that question that says that. Every, I mean, literally, you're the first person to answer that question that way because what normally people answer with some muscles. Yeah. Abs, right. Yeah. Muscles, no, the the, the right? muscles are a slave to the nervous system. And so what I always say to those people is if that was true, a cadaver could do sit-ups on command because they have all the same muscles we have. Right. But they, but they don't have an active nervous system. And so what's so interesting to me is that the nervous system, the neuro and neuromuscular controls all movement. And what we do in RPR is we actually show people how the neuro controls all movement and that people themselves can change how that movement happens in that neurological firing pattern. And so the thing we're doing with this and what be activated is doing and what RPR is trying to do is really with RPR, we're showing people how they can do all this stuff themselves. So be activated. It goes very deep into the psychological and physiological with RPR. We said, how can we take these concepts 
and give them to everyday, like a housewife to do on a daily basis herself or a professional athlete. And really because it's not, it doesn't, it's so funny to me because it, RPR doesn't change anything anyone's doing in their training. It literally addresses the neuro component that nobody's addressing. And, and this is the interesting thing is people think they're addressing it because they do, let's say, box jumps or something. That's potentiation. All that's doing is exciting the current neurological pattern. So that'd be like me giving you a map of Columbus with an X on it and saying there's a billion dollars, just go to this X. Well, you'd get pretty excited for a billion dollars. Sure. But if I dropped you off in Chicago, you never find in the X. Right. I'm going to feel like John Candy and Steve Martin in planes, trains, exactly. and automobiles. Yeah. All right, I need to pause for a moment to tell you about something that has been super helpful to me. If you've listened to me on podcasts or anything before, you know that I'm not somebody that sleeps uh, easily, right? Like the, that's probably the one part of my quote unquote routine that I struggle with the most. It, it kind of runs in my family. I've talked about it before on this podcast. We, I just have trouble shutting my brain off. And so when I was looking for something, everything gave me uh, you know, a morning hangover. I couldn't take anything with certain amounts of melatonin. And I, you know, I'm somebody that doesn't want to get into pharmaceutical means. And then our sponsor, Momentus, told us about something they were creating, sleep nighttime recovery, that is is a really tremendous product that is both NSF and informed sport approved, licensed, certified, all that. And it is something that has just the right amount of melatonin, just the right amount of magnesium, everything that I need to naturally kind of drift to sleep, especially when I'm on planes. I don't sleep really well on planes when I'm traveling. Uh, and this has been a game changer for me. It's real simple, guys. Just go to livemomentous.com, check out their sleep nighttime recovery, and be sure to use code BRETT20 to receive a 20% discount. Again, brett 20 will get you a discount on all things momentous. All right, back to the episode. Exactly. And so that's how we're operating as strength coaches is we're literally giving our athletes these movements, but yet we're not, we're not allowing them or ensuring that their neurological firing pattern, their sequence is happening properly. And then we wonder why these injuries happen from, from in games and from training because we're literally doing nothing to actually ensure this neurological firing pattern and the sequence is happening properly. It really, honestly, when I learned, when I learned all this stuff, dude, it blew my mind. Right. Well, because, especially because yeah. like, think about this, right? There's somebody listening right now. That's probably they're, they're casual on their training relatively, right? Like let's say they own a business of their own um, yep. or they're not, they don't do what we do for a living. Right. So they don't geek out on this and they just know they got to get in the gym a few days a week and, and uh, they go from sitting on their chair or doing whatever they do and they're like, shit, I got to at least do 45 minutes of something. And they feel good about themselves, right? Because they're yeah. foam rolling. They're doing the yeah. lacrosse ball. They're doing everything they think they should be doing, right? They've broken out like you talked about earlier, yeah. whether the mini bands, they feel like yeah. they're ready to go. What, what are those folks? And I don't want to say it's doing wrong because it's overwhelming, right? Like if you're not, even if you are a strength coach, the amount of information that comes at us and every day we're wrong, yeah. what's this person, just the casual guy or gal doing wrong that like could help them? right? From a neuromuscular standpoint, get better results yeah. out of that just on the onset. Well, what's crazy. So it, and this is a great part, right? People are people. And so our philosophy at the spot athletics, number one, build better movement. That that's our number one training philosophy, because whether you're trying to be the best grandparent in the world or a world champion in something, you better, the better you move, the better your chances are of 
of performing at whatever task that is. And so I don't look at it as like, what's the general lifting person missing? I look at it what literally, unless you've been through an RPR clinic, what everyone in the world is missing. And I don't look at it as wrong at all because I believe that everybody's doing the best they can with the information they have at the time. Right. And so I don't think it's wrong at all. Nothing we teach in RPR makes anything anyone's doing in their training is wrong. It's literally a step before what's happening. So foam rolling, it's great. Stretching, it's great. Lifting, it's great. However, if you're trying to stretch through, let's say, neural, so neural, the neural tone is the first step. So the way I describe it to people is it's, it's just like coming home and it's dark out, right? You walk in your house, first thing you do is you flip your light switch on. Lights come on. Well, the nervous system is just the electricity for your body. It's, it's simple. And so all we're doing with RPR is just showing people where the light switches are. What everyone's doing, whether that's general fitness, athletes, everything, is they're actually walking into the dark house and they're going, huh, it's dark in here. And then they, they do foam rolling and they st that's changing the light fixture because the light fixture holds the things there. The muscles, that's the light bulbs because you see them working. So basically when we train, it's like we're training with the light switch off and we're just changing light bulbs in hopes that it comes on. Yeah, good analogy. As opposed to just, as opposed to just flipping light switch. And what I always, so it's funny because we, at the Spot Athletics, right, we have, we have 10-year-old kids training with us. We have 80-year-old people training with us. What's so amazing to me is when, when a little kid comes in and they're 10 years old and they walk in, the first thing they're doing, because RPR is a system of breathing and, and neurological. That's what I was going to ask. Give us an idea yep. of what it's comprised of. Yep. Perfect. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's a system of breathing and neurological wake up drills that allow your body to operate in the sequence that it's meant to operate in for optimal performance and, and, and reduced injury risk. And so it's great because when kids come in, kids don't hurt. Right. I mean, hopefully, right there, they come in their 10 year olds, pretty healthy and, uh, or should be. And so, it's great because they come in and all of a sudden, you know, they're doing sit-ups. We show them the sequence and all of a sudden they couldn't do a sit-up and now they can do five. Yeah. And it's, and it, this isn't a six month process. This is a two minute process. And then our adults come in and you know, they're, they're like, Hey, I haven't been able to squat in five years. So my back hurts so bad. So we can't squat. And then in three months they're doing a powerlifting meet because everything feels amazing because their body was in this imploded state. And so it's funny. I was teaching a clinic about two months ago out in California and it was great because the guy who runs the place where we were at, they have a physical therapy clinic right inside and it's really good people. And he's like, my hamstrings are so tight. I work with the physical therapist every week on it. And so it's like, okay, what's your range of motion? He's like, well, we've been able to get to about 60 degrees and that's the best thing I have laying on a table. I'm like, awesome. So they've been using, right? They've been, they've been changing fixtures. They've been screwing in new light bulbs, right? Like they're working on the muscles. They're working on all the fascia and all these things that hold everything together. What they weren't doing was flipping the light switches and making sure the neural system, the thing that initiates all movement. It's not more important than anything else because you can have a nervous system and no muscles. You still don't have movement. And so it's not more important than anything. It's just where you have to start, right? So you, you have kids, right, Brett? Uh, first one is expected in December. Oh, that's so amazing. But I got a business and granted the business doesn't shit itself 12 times a day, <laughs> but it definitely does every so often, right? Like you wake up and you get an email that something went wrong, yeah. went wrong. It's got a friend of mine said that he's like, I go, I got a business. It's kind of like a kid. He's like, yeah, it doesn't crap itself 12 times a day. I'm like, 
Yeah, touche, but that's it is awesome. a force multiplier awesome. of stress. Yeah, that's awesome. So, so what I always say, my, my son, my youngest son is four. Yeah. And so one of the things we're working on right now is, uh, you know, he's potty trained, all that stuff. We're still struggling with, you know, he, do, he does number two. And, and making sure that, right, we still have to, to help him with wiping, right? And so as we were teaching him this, he would w- walk in to the bathroom, he'd sit on the toilet, he would wipe his butt, then he would poop and pull up his pants. <laughs> well, he had all the steps, right? He was doing all the steps, but his right. order of operations wasn't so great for, for his underwear. Right. And so, so that's how I look at this is it's, it's not one thing's more important than the other. It's just order of operations. If I don't take care of the nervous system first, then move through those soft tissues, then get the workout and do the muscles, I'm now trying to use an, uh, uh, just like my son, right? He was using all the right steps, just bat, that order of operation makes a big difference. Yeah, it's a process thing, right? And, and we understand, exactly. it, it kind of goes back to how this conversation started with the primacy effect and everything else. Well, yeah. you know, it also goes, well, how does the conversation close, right? So what you're talking about is, is very similar to the communication side where some conversations begin and end, and end smoothly, right? Some are effortless. Others are difficult, uncomfortable, problematic. And it's kind of like first and last are always special importance of life, but it's always so how it fits into this symbiotic relationship of what the hell are you trying to accomplish at the time. And so you're, you're talking about a key element of the process that maybe has been acknowledged right? if, if we're like, it's acknowledged to some degree, but kind of nowhere Not, near as pinpoint. It's, it's acknowledged. People on, no one says the nervous system isn't a thing. Right. Everyone acknowledges the thing. They don't but address it. The thing is, right, and this is what I always say to my staff. Look, we, my son's four. We drive by a bridge that's broken. He can point out the bridge is broken, but he has no clue how to build a bridge. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? And so, so to me, that, that is our whole mission with our PR, right? And, and our vision is really to educate people on the role of their nervous system, the constant stress their environment puts on it, and how they can easily control it so they can greatly improve their life. Because that's really that comes down to my mission, right? Helping people improve their life. Yeah. And so with, with this, you know, it was so funny, you know, to, to close out that kind of that loop with that clinic I was teaching. This guy gets on the table and... I take him through some breathing. I take him through some of the wake-up drills. And in about three minutes, we retest his hamstring. It's at 90 degrees. And he literally, I mean, he's, the, the physical therapist is there. His mouth's wide open. And, and the dude goes, what? He goes, never. He goes, I don't even think in high school my hamstring went to the 90 degrees. And what was funny was we had a conversation after the clinic because this was three minutes of just breathing and him. And so the wake up drills, everyone does them on themselves. So I literally just said, rub here, rub here, do this. I just showed him where to rub. I did nothing for him other than empower him with the knowledge of how to control his own nervous system. Yeah. Which yeah. I'm not taking away from that, right? That's, that's a huge part in the process. However, it was interesting because afterwards he goes, you know, I've seen some physical therapists and they tell me there's nothing I can do because it's just neural tone and that's just the way it is. So it's been acknowledged, but we're actually showing people how it works, the, how the sequence works and how they can control it themselves. And that's where the power is, right? The power isn't in saying it's a thing. The power is in understanding the thing and knowing there's something you can do about it. 
Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. And, and when you talk about movement and when you talk about quality and quality of life or quality of the movement and sequencing, it, wants, it makes me want to lead into something else I know you're really, really uh, passionate and also educated on. And I want to stir up some shit because it's good to have some discussion, right? The point of this podcast isn't Love just so people can, well, just like, I don't want people to mindlessly listen on their car. Like you want yeah, people yeah. to feel convicted, right? Like and they have to think, right? Yeah, they got to think. And like, it's okay to disagree. It's okay this and that. But like you, we've mentioned the squat before and you're like, yo, I think people are kind of doing this wrong and addressing this wrong. Talk to me about your views on the squat and what the hell do you mean people are doing it wrong? Like what kind of people, you know, where, where are we kind Ever. of off on this too? I mean, So here's the thing, and this, it comes down to the power of language. So, so to me, you know, I've said everyone's doing the squat wrong a hundred times. Everyone. It makes me angry. I mean, it it really does, right? It's just all this because I, I drive life from a place of anger. And so you got shivved in the head. Because I got shivved in the head, right? I'm I'm saying you'd be angry too, right? I'd try to find the guy. (laughs) And so it's one of these things where at this point going through the four days that I just went through with Douglas, you know, we had so much discussion on language that even when you say, you know, they're wrong. And I've said it a million times, I, I, my viewpoint has shifted a little bit in, in that my, my perspective, it's not that, that I think people are wrong. It's that I think people are looking people are doing the best they can with the information they have. So they're, they're working with these stories that they know. My thing is I don't think people have the full story. So it's not they're wrong because once I've presented people with the full story, everyone goes, yeah, hundred percent. That makes sense. You can't argue with it. And so the full story is that everything, every bit of research that's been done on squatting, right? It talks about, Oh, a squat, a quarter squat, a quarter of what? So the, the thing that makes us stronger is a joint angle through which a joint is worked. That, that's what determines the strength that's built. And so a squat, the story is that powerlifting became a sport in the early 60s. And three guys in a room in Missouri decided that to, to have a, a set of rules around how you could judge the squat, it had to be, you know, the knee and the hip parallel. So parallel become the basis for everything we thought about. And that was a story we told in squatting. However, the, the, the incomplete part of that story is that only takes into account the hip and the knee, but there's three joints that are involved in squatting. And so the ankle was a completely ignored joint in this whole discussion. Yet it's one of the most important joints in athletics. And obviously it must be there or you can't squat. And so it's funny because we bring these in complete story. So now all the research that's been done on squatting and performance up to this point has been done based on an arbitrary standard that only involves two of three of the joints involved in the movement. So it's not that the, the research is wrong. It's just incomplete because they didn't say, Hey, they said it's a quarter squat and it does this. Well, it's a quarter of what a standard that's arbitrary that doesn't involve all three joints. So now the information we have is six, you know, 66.66% accurate. And so the interesting thing is when I first started uh, coming, the only way I would have came to this conclusion, to be 100% honest with you, is if I wasn't doing RPR every day. Because one of the things is when you do the breathing, when you do the wake-up drills, your body works in the right sequence. And so when it works in the right sequence, it allows you to drop down into a parasympathetic state. And it allows that because your body feels safe. 
right? So if you get shivved in the head coming out, right? <laughs> here, here we go. <laughs> right? But, but no, every, every situation that you're going into- It's through that frame honest. of reference. Yeah, listen, I mean, you're you, talking to a, you're talking right. to a, go ahead. Yeah, you feel unsafe. And so you're constantly looking for the fight. And so when, when Chris Corfus, he started talking to me about this as a concept, I literally, I would say I'm way further along in my journey at this point. There was still, and, and I'm not saying my anger is gone by any means. I just have better control. And so I literally got so, so much anxiety when he was talking to me saying that, you know, going to parallels not maybe is not the best or it's not really right. I literally go, I'm going to fucking punch you in the face. Like I had to move away from him because I was getting so pissed off because everything I had done in my gym to that point, if you didn't squat to parallel, it did not count. Right. So I was going to say, JL, like sticking, sticking with the squat to parallel thing. So I just want to make sure, and I want to make sure that the listeners hear it. So we know where we're at in the conversation. You're saying that let's say somebody posts something on social media today, right? Depending when you're listening to this, whether it's 2019 or 3047, whatever, whatever is out there and somebody sees a squat that is not parallel and they're losing their shit. You're saying that these people shouldn't be angry. You're saying that this, this parallel squat is completely arbitrary and not even worth arguing about, or are you saying something different? Well, what I'll say is if you're watching a powerlifting meet, it is the sporting requirement of the sport of powerlifting. Yep. Now here's what I'll say. You, it doesn't matter, but we're looking on social media. If someone doesn't squat to parallel, everybody loses their shit, right? That's awful. It's, you know, doesn't this and that. Have you ever seen a bench press happen and it gets posted? So the rule of powerlifting parallel, it's the sporting requirement. Well, also the sporting requirement in the bench press is you have to come to a complete pause and someone has to say press before you press it up or it does not count. Right. Have you ever seen someone do a bench press? And if someone doesn't come to a complete stop and get a press command, people lose their shit? No. So how illogical is it that we hold one rule of powerlifting for one lift, but we don't hold the other rules? Yeah, I mean, it, what's interesting is, is you and I both know people don't operate off logic, right? And that's, that's part of the problem here. So do you think that there's bigger issues here as to why we latch onto that arbitrary standard that you're talking? I mean, researchers, to be clear, researchers are fighting about this. There is a, right? Like, you know no, this. There's, there's one camp of researchers. No, they're fighting over something that they don't even understand the story that they're, that they're looking at the squat from a lens of the sport of powerlifting in parallel. I will say this. If I bend my ankles, my knee, right? Because even, yeah, even, more weight, weight, yeah, 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 more weight, weight, right? Like, yep, yep, yeah. yeah, no, exactly. If I bend my, my knees, my ankles, and my hips, and I move a half an inch, that by definition is a squat. Now, it is not meeting the sporting requirements of powerlifting. I, that would not be a good squat and get three white lights in powerlifting. However, the videos that are being posted that people are losing their minds are athletes, general population people who are just trying to get some movement and be a little healthier. And everyone's losing their minds and holding people to a standard for a sport that those people aren't even competing in. It, and the researchers are arguing and losing their minds and they're not even defining the joint angles of all three joints that are involved in the movement. So they're making conclusions based on two thirds information and not even two thirds, because when they say this is, you know, this is a full range, you know, now I will say full range of motion. If someone goes all the way down, like you've, you've got it there. 
But, but other than someone going all the way down, even at that point, that's different for every single person. I, I have huge, thick hips. My butt will never sit on my ankles because I am built to lift up really heavy stuff. I'm not built to squat all the way down. And so even full range of motion, like you have to define the joint angle through which it moves to define and understand the strength which is built. And that has to be through all the primary joints of the action. And so it's so funny, people lose their minds and they're like, oh, this, that. and I go into weight rooms and, I, and I've written, I mean, I've written articles for T Nation, for EliteFTS.com on this and people, they lose their mind. And all I do is show two pictures of people swatting. One is the, the traditional kind of West side power lifting where your shins are a little more neutral and you sit way back. And, and then the knees go to 90 degrees and everyone goes, that's a great squat. Then I show someone getting a lot of movement in their ankle and their knees coming forward, like over their toes. And, and that, according to the standards of powerlifting, would be a you know, six-inch high squat, a quarter squat, if you will, by most people's language. And then I literally just draw, I don't even draw, I take the exact same line from that good squat, and I just rotate it, and it matches the exact same angle as the squat that's not good. So the knees are moving through the exact same range of motion, which means the quads and the hamstring are getting the exact same range of motion and strength development. So give me the devil's advocate argument of this. When you make this public, when you talk about these things, what, tell me what the people who, right? Let's imagine, I'm calling bullshit jail. I'm calling yep. bullshit. I don't agree. I have this many papers, 81 papers cited, you know, cited in this journal, that journal. We know that muscle activation is greater at these positions. What's your... What's that argument look like? Where does that go? Because we know that happens, right? People can't get enough of squatting yeah. arguments. Well, the first thing I say is show me the article that defines the joint angles at the hips, knees, and ankles during the squat. That doesn't exist. Well, then you don't have the full story. So you're arguing this thing with me, and I, I'd love to see that research. I just need the full story. So show me that joint angle for all three joints. Because we, we need to consider all those three joints. I mean, listen, like the ankle, and we all know this. Like, I don't want to say we all know this, right? This, but the ankle is a major, major like limiting factor. I mean, you're looking at this, and, and this is something that it's funny. When I started working with uh, military, you'd have guys with blown Achilles. You'd have guys with shrapnel on their calf. All the, and these guys for a number, somebody would see something and be like, oh, just a little bit more mobility, this. And then I'm like, dude, that guy has shrapnel in his calf. And the funny thing about it, if you grab the calf and move the ankle, wouldn't you know it, right? There's, yeah, there's a symbiotic right. relationship there. And so it's, I think it's hard for people in part because they feel like they can kind of just mobilize their way out of everything where we know people just ain't built the same, right? There's a, you're not going to be able to change no. well, the articular structure of certain things. Well, but you know, the thing that I don't think people understand is that the nervous, so people think that things are in the position they are because, oh, that's how they're built. That's where the bones are. The nervous system, neurologically, that tension, I look at it like a bungee cord. And so if the nervous system, if you have all this neural tone and it's pulling on that ankle as a bungee cord, it doesn't matter how much mobilization you do, that bungee cord is not letting go. So you might get a momentary change, but unless you make neurological change, you are not changing that ankle. And that's what people don't understand. We've had people, dude, it's crazy. We've had people, I can't count the number of people who have gone in and, and like we have people... I mean, it's, it's amazing. They're like, Oh, I have to get surgery on my shoulder because this, well, they don't understand that neurological tension is actually imploding that shoulder and not allowing any space. 
And so people do all this distraction and all this stuff thinking it's going to help. And actually that stuff is good. Only if you first get rid of neurological tone and then go to it. Otherwise, we're pulling something that's pulling back constantly and is never going to stop. And so now if we get rid of that bungee cord and then pull on it, we can do some pretty cool things. And so this, it comes back to this whole thing of people not knowing the full story. And so they're attacking, whether it's attacking an ankle, attacking, you know, oh, people have to squat to parallel. The thing that I've really gotten to in the place in my life is, or even like how I started my business, right? It was because people had a story that they were telling themselves from the second they met me. So from the, peop- the time someone sees a squat on social media, they're, they're, they've already told themselves a story. And that's how they view the world. And to me, what's been so crazy, and, and honestly, I don't know what you can say, enlightened, whatever it is, over the last three, what's been three, four years, the change in how I see the world and just taking time to understand the full story and see the full story. It's changed the way I see the body. It's changed the way I interact with the world. It's changed the way I see squatting. It's literally, it's changed the way I do business. It's changed the way I parent because when my kids are really upset about something now, my old way of doing, I have a 13 year old when he was young and he would get upset about things, whatever anger he brought, I would bring twice as much. Now, when he's angry about something, when my four-year-old gets angry about something, the first thing I do is, hey, bud, why are you upset? Right? Because I got to understand I'm not four. I don't know his lens of the world. So I have to get on his level. I get down on a knee so I can look him in the eye. And I got to understand where is he coming from? But, but the old me, man, he's yelling like, I would just be like, hey, shut up. Stop crying. Because that's how I was raised. Like the way I was raised, you got two things. You got silence. Or you got motherfucked. And so if that's what you grow up and that's your communication strategy you've learned, that's what you use with the world. Right. And well, and this is where, this is where kind of our stories align, right? Like I remember, I mean, this is what my workshops are about, right? How do we learn how to take a more strategic and scientific approach to how we communicate? And I'll never forget when it first opened up, you want to talk about primacy effect, Uh, whether this or the book, people would say, Hey, like I'm a coach. Why do I need to learn how to communicate? I do it every day. And I go, yeah, that's why you need to learn how to communicate, (laughs) you know? And uh, a certain part of this you find, right? Just like, again, going back to the woman and and how she judged you and defined you and and all those kinds of things or how anybody tends to judge archetypical patterns of behavior. Our reactions to them are emotional because we usually don't know the whole story, whether that's physiological, like you mentioned, whether it's neurological, as you mentioned, whether it's just interpersonal or intrapersonal. And that's where the messiness goes. And that leads to kind of my next question for you, JL, is where do you think we need to go within coach development to get out of, to get in a better place? Like when people say, hey, what do you think the field needs to be focused on in the next five years? What is that to you from a coach development standpoint? First of all, the, the philosophy through RPR and through, through Be Activated is, is really the philosophy that, that I hold in my life and what I believe. And, and that is, it, we call it a one, two, three philosophy. And so, you know, you, there's this concept, right, in the body, proximal stability builds distal mobility, right? So if the, we don't have stability at the center of the body, we can't have mobility out at the elbows or shoulders or whatever. And so that holds true in, in, in our lives, no matter what business we run. Like, look, for me, I've got two 20,000 square foot facilities. That's a, there's a lot to manage there. We've got, 
with RPR, we're traveling around the world teaching this stuff to different, you know, sports teams and different, you know, personal trainers and strength coaches. And honestly, the probably the, and I don't want to do it, the coolest thing was I taught a clinic in California a couple, like two months ago, and we went around the room. I said, okay, what do you know? Why are you here? And everybody was kind of looked like a fitness person, personal trainer, strength coach, whatever. You know, I'm an athletic trainer. I'm a massage therapist. It was, but it was something to do with sport. I'm a sport coach, you know, uh, and then one lady had wedges on and this pretty nice outfit and she was older and she just didn't look like she belonged. Right? She had like a cardigan on or something. And I was, just, and she goes, I'm the weirdo here. She goes, I've been to every expert in LA and I've had this sciatic nerve pain for two years and I didn't know what to do. I was considering surgery and I went and worked out at country club with a friend of mine and her personal trainer said, Hey, have you heard of RPR? And he showed me a couple things to do and I've been doing it every day. And for the first time in two years, I haven't hurt. And I'm just here today to make sure I'm doing it right. And like the power in that for me. So, so what I look at when I talk about where does the coaching field need to go in this one, two, three is exactly what that lady did. She took control of her own body and her own results. And that's what we need to do in coaching. We don't need to look at different techniques, different this, different that. We need to get better as people, number one. So if we're not right, if, our, if we're not solid as people, I can't impact the world if I'm not right with myself. And so I think, you know, we talk about where does it need to go? I just think the awareness of who we are as people, I think people don't understand that everything they're doing, every choice they're making is driven subconsciously by their physiology. And people don't want to accept that but if you accept it and you learn it and you understand your story and own your story, then that doesn't have to control you. You can control it. And I think what's wrong, not just with our profession, but just with our world as a whole is people don't want to take the time to own their own stories. And so the way they impact the world, like I don't believe those ladies were bad people. I don't believe they, they consciously thought I'm going to screw this guy over. They just were reacting to their physiology. And so when we talk about where does the coaching profession need to go, I think as a whole, and this is, it doesn't matter because we're leaders. I really, you know, I say this all the time to my staff. I truly believe we, we have the greatest job in the world because every single day we can transform someone's life every day. And that's going to be done only if we know our story and we understand just like what you're teaching, how to interact with them, how to communicate with them, how to reach them. If we're not doing that, I think the focus has gotten so far. It's everything outside. It's what's the research? What's this new technology? What's this? What we have to do, not just in the coaching world, but just as a humankind as a whole, we have to get back to a place where we are great as ourselves and not looking for outside validation from social media, not, not looking for, I'm going to do this and put it on because it looks good to the world. What is good for us? Because if we're doing what's great for us, whether that's coaching, teaching, running a business, right? Then all of a sudden now the good we do in the world is going to multiply because if we're not good where we're at, we can't do good out into the world. And that's where I think for me, the focus has to get away from all this technology and all this and all that. And it has to come back to the greatest tool we have as a coach. And it's just simply a question. Hey, how are you doing today? Yeah, I, um, there's, 
it's it's a, listen it's a shared frustration you know i same thing it, when when i felt like i i tried to communicate this i got oh i got this many athletes i don't have time for that and i just say it all the time i say it in my youtube one of my youtube videos i say listen if you're sitting here and you can ask your athlete about their hydration their sleep their quality rpe you know all these things and you're saying that you can't find a way to formulate a micro interactive strategy to learn more about their unconscious or like subconscious drives you know, everything that does X, Y, and Z and, and just, then you're lazy. You don't want to do your job because the most common question I get asked is how do I deal with this difficult athlete? And I always start it now by responding the same way. I go, how do you know you're not the difficult coach? You know, that's your job to get underneath. And, and uh, just as a social experiment, and I'll admit this isn't, it's not a nice thing to do, but I never claim to be, you know, this, this nice kind of warm, fuzzy person. Um, I, I kind of had a vested interest in wanting to call certain coaches out on their bullshit because our field um, you know, always says, oh, I'm dedicated to doing this and that. And I'm like, all right, on all of my online courses, I'm going to have a mandatory exam. So nobody gets a certificate, nobody completes it until they finish the exam. And on average, we have less than 60% of coaches that ever do the exam. They'll watch all the videos. I see that, right. but they won't do the exam. And I just don't think, I think that a lot of what our field faces is self-inflicted because I think they want to hold their athletes accountable or their clients, whatever, but they don't always want to be held accountable because it's just like, well, why should I have to do that? I'm good. I watch the material. It's like, nah, it's not enough. Like you said, it's not enough for it just to be acknowledged. Going back to what we talked about, the neuromuscular system, you got to address this shit. And one of my favorite quotes, and I think everything you talked about hits us on the head, especially with that last kind of piece you mentioned is, knowing your own darkness is the best method for dealing with the darkness of other people. And whether that is conflict, um, whether that's you not knowing quite how to drive that individual, whatever that is, we're all in some level of darkness. But if you don't want to be self, like introspective and you don't want to dive deeper into you, don't expect to be really effective at doing it for other people. So another, another way that I like to put that is you cannot guide someone on a journey that you have not traveled yourself. Right. And that to me, when we, when, you know, I love, I love the way, you know, when you're, you're talking about that, you know, and it really brought up some, some strong feelings for me about, you know, you're like RP this and that, and you're like, you know, you gotta, you gotta understand your darkness. People are using these baselines of RP and all this stuff. It all comes down to perspective compared to what, right? right? Like contrast, for, right? Right. For me, right. I, I, I was born, I was stabbed in the head. What do you think my tolerance of pain is, right? When I was in college and we would do cold baths, right? After practice, you know, some of the guys would be like, oh, it's 50 degrees. I'd be like, I need it to be 30, right? Because it, I can't feel the coldness at 50 degrees. That doesn't do it for me, right? And so we, we're asking people all their opinion on anything, but are we taking the time to understand their story and their context of where they're coming up with this opinion. And what I'll say is quite honestly, I don't think 99.9% .9 of the people even understand their story well enough to know what good is. It's like someone comes into our, our facility and they go, Hey, I was like, anything bother you? And it's like, Oh no, everything feels pretty good. Do you have any back issues? Well, I mean, you know, it's tight every single day, but it's good. Then they train with us for three months and they're like, oh my God, I never realized how much pain I was in. Now my back feels amazing. Because it becomes a new normal. Okay. That's just it. Like we don't take time to understand the context of what people's normal is. And then we just take what they say at face value. And part of that is because people aren't, look, 
again, they're not looking at, it's just like you said, you have to understand your own darkness. And I think that's the hardest thing. It's way easier to like, this has happened to me. I've had, I've had coaches say this, well, I've got these athletes that aren't good athletes. It's like, wait a minute, that's your job. So, so if you say that to me that, that I have athletes that aren't good athletes and I can't get them to be good athletes, what you're saying to me is you're not good at your job. You just don't understand that you're saying that. And, and so we, we say all these things and that to me, like, I, you know, you say the coaching field, but honestly, like I've been very fortunate, you know, just, you know, running two different businesses and, and, you know, I joined entrepreneurs organization and some things. And, and so I've been able to, to get involved with business at a much higher level and with people that are way better than me. Cause what do you want to do when you want to get better at something, get around people that are better than you at it. And so, you know, it's interesting. I see these same themes throughout every industry every business. And so to me, I don't even look at them as, as issues in the coaching industry. I look at them as issues with humanity for where we're at today. Yeah. That's a, it's a critical point. Listen to what you just said is the reason why if people go to art of coaching. If they go to my website, art that's what we say is coaching is managing, directing, guiding, teaching. Cause it's, it's been similar when I had the opportunity to go work with different businesses it's the same thing. So I use coaching a little bit as a, a different term. I think anytime you're trying to communicate, guide, or direct people in an orchestrated effort, whether that's in finance, whether that's in performance, whether that's in whatever, to me, that's an element of coaching, you know? And I, I even think the term leadership can be overused because I just like, who is a leader when in reality, like to some degree, we're all lost, right? Like we're never, we're never going to truly figure this stuff out. And that's the journey. And JL, I want people to be able to find more of you and more of what you guys are doing with RPR and be able to take that journey for themselves and, and be able to kind of educate themselves, challenge their assumptions, go up there. I mean, because listen, I mean, anything really good is about is bound to be contentious. And I know you guys have faced some heat when you talked about X, Y, and Z, but I also know that you have a lot of people out there around the world that swear by it, love it, and want to go deeper with the experience. So where can skeptics, cynics, and true believers all the same come to find out more about RPR and everything that you're doing with the spot? Yeah, I mean, so obviously, you know, we have uh, reflexiveperformance.com and the cool part, we, we did an online course so people can go through our level one. And the thing I say about RPR all the time, you know, we talked about it, we talked theory and it all sounded good. Until you feel it, you cannot comprehend it because you have no, again, you have no point of reference. The thing I say to people, it's like trying to describe to someone what a light bulb is and no one's ever seen one. It's impossible. So, you know, for me, if people go through the RPR course and they feel it and, and you know what, if, if they don't want to implement that's, that's okay, right? You're not going to change every person or you're not going to do that. But, you know, I, so reflexiveperformance.com and, and our online courses on there as well. Uh, but, you know, on Instagram, we're at the Spot Athletics. I'm at Coach JL uh, on Instagram. And that's where I post a lot. Of, you know, the Spot Athletics, we post a lot of it, but it's P, it's PC, right? Like I got either it's it's business and it's family business. So the stuff that I post, it really goes into kind of the whole philosophy of life and all that. It's really at Coach JL uh, on Instagram is really where I go into a lot of that stuff and mindset. And, you know, just talk about my journey because honestly, man, like, look, I'm, I'm a dude who's made so many mistakes and, and we could spend four hours on those. But, you know, for me, my, my mission is really help, help people out there not make the same ones I've made so that the world can move to a better place. 
That's a responsibility. Well, you've definitely done it on this episode, JL. I appreciate you taking the time. And for us, you know, really this being our second true conversation, certainly longer than our first, it was a treat for me, man. I love hearing your perspective. I love people that think meta and big picture and, you know, no longer want to sit here and debate whether six reps is better than five and all this other shit. You know, again, like I can barely even say that on my own podcast without somebody being like, hey, are you saying, you know, it's just kind of, we've got to get above and beyond it. And you did that, man. So thank you again for sacrificing your time coming on. Guys, if you're listening, please make sure, like I always say, give the people that sacrifice their time, effort, you know, even money to come on the show because I'm taking them away from their business or their job. And there's a cost to that. So please make sure you rate and review the episode because um, that helps this information get out. It helps us keep from being buried by the larger podcasts out there. Um, and and uh, also make sure to visit their websites and their links because nobody's doing this for fun, right? Like JL doesn't take time away from his kid and his family just to put out stuff that like doesn't help people. So visit the links. Do not just listen to the podcast. Go do your due diligence and hold them accountable. J JL, thank you again. Hey, thanks, Brad. You know, one thing I want to end with because it goes into what you said is yeah. the biggest thing I always say is everyone listen to this podcast and they got information. But if information was worth anything, then libraries would be the richest place on earth. So please, everyone, take action in some direction. Make the world a better place. Appreciate you, man. Talk to you soon. Appreciate you, brother.